0: So today I thought I would talk about the five types of people that exist in the world, five types of Buddhists, we can say, specifically five types of Buddhists or five types of practitioners people who follow the Buddhist teaching. And this subject is a good opportunity to tell some stories. My Thai students always complain that I don't tell enough stories and it's because my Thai is not very good. And so whenever I give a Thai talk, I, I always just talk about Dhamma, I always just give a Dhamma talk and never tell any stories, and they're very boring. But Now I have a chance to give a talk in English, so I'll be able to tell a few stories. (coughs) So what do I mean by the five types of Buddhists, or the five types of practitioners of the Buddha's teaching? Well, it so happens that in the time of the Buddha, there was one monk, who had heard from somewhere or other this phrase that in Pali goes, Dhamma vihari, this, not a phrase, this name or this uh, label, Dhamma vihari. Dhamma vihari means someone who lives by the Dhamma or lives in the Dhamma or lives according to the Dhamma who dwells in the Dhamma. Vihari means comes from the same word as Vihara, which means a dwelling place. Although nowadays Vihara means, we call it a temple or a place of worshipping the Buddha because it's a place where the Buddha lives. So we put a Buddha image there and call it a Vihara. But in the time of the Buddha, it just meant a large dwelling place, like a a dormitory or so on. And he didn't understand exactly what this meant or what it was referring to. It could mean many different things. One who lives in the Dhamma or lives according to the Dhamma, dwells with the Dhamma. And so he went to ask the Buddha and he said, Oh Buddha, I've heard this, I've heard it said, Dhamma vihari, Dhamma vihari, one who lives, dwells in the Dhamma. To what extent is someone a, a person who dwells in the Dhamma? Venerable sir, please tell. And so the Buddha gave this fairly short, uh, terse discourse on five things that this could possibly mean. And uh, only one of them actually, according to the Buddha, is a Dhamma Vihari. So he said, there are, in this world there are five, or in this, this religion, the Buddhist religion, there are five types of people, specifically five types of monk. And we're talking specifically about those people who take up the practice of meditation in earnest, ordaining or, or becoming meditator, yeah. Taking at least eight precepts. He said, there are five types of people. Here in, in, in this teaching, there are, there are certain people who study. They will study all of the different parts of the Buddha's teaching, the various uh, suttas and uh, verses, the poetry and uh, the analysis and uh, lists and lists of different Dhammas. The Buddhist teaching is made up of many different things. There are altogether 84,000 different uh, topics or different parts to the Dhamma. It's a very large body of literature. If you want to study the Buddhist teaching, it's not just one book where you can pick up a Bible and study. It's a whole great, vast body of, of, of teaching. And then, including the commentaries and explanations on the brief ta- talks and on some of the verses, it's, it takes up a whole bookshelf. And that's even without all of the repetitions. Because, of course, it was, uh, it was a spoken language, and so there was much repetition. And he said, so some, some monks will do this. Even nowadays you'll see monks who will memorize to the best of their ability the whole of the Buddha's teaching and will take exams on this, being able to pull up at, at will any piece of the Buddha's teaching. And so he said there are certain monks that do this and based on their learning they think that they are uh, sufficient. They think that they are educated and uh, proficient in the Buddhist teaching and so they waste their time they sit around they don't think to do anything more and this is the kind of this kind of person we see in the world we see that mostly this is what is esteemed in the world to be real and true wisdom we esteem this sort of person someone who has great uh, learning someone who has gotten their degree uh, who has studied a lot in the West, it generally means more. Uh, you generally have to think and, and be able to argue and so on. Uh, and in the East, to some extent, but I know that in many places still, there's just this idea of uh, learning and memorizing. And that's considered to be enough. You know, in, many, in many places, in many countries, this is considered to be the virtue. It's just this memorization. Learning, learning, learning. And so it shouldn't be strange that there are many people even in the time of the Buddha who thought this was sufficient, that somehow learning, being educated. We think of being educated as a great virtue. But there are so many people out there who are educated and don't ever use their knowledge for anything. Don't ever put it to any practical use. They just study and study and study. And some people can be even very much addicted to this. People who read lots of literature or read... Uh, or study just for pleasure. And because in modern society we don't have that much uh, consensus or real impetus to take up the practice of spirituality in earnest, we we think of these things as virtues and as sufficient to be considered to be a uh, virtuous person or a good person. But the Buddha said, this isn't a Dhamma-vihari This is someone who is learned, who is educated Has great, much learning Much study, much memorization Not someone who lives by the Dhamma So we have a story here We have this story of a monk who did just this Uh, His name is Tuchya and he's a very famous monk And he's a very good example of, of how this just doesn't work In fact, it can be a real um a real obstacle, a hindrance in our in our spiritual development. Tucho Potila was very proud of himself because he'd memorized all of the Buddha's teaching for seven seven lifetimes under seven different Buddhas. He had been born again and again and again. And this was the seventh Buddha that he had ordained under and become totally proficient in. In the study of the Buddha's teaching So he, everything that the Buddha had taught He had memorized Because it was always the monk's job To sit around and memorize And to relate what it was that the Buddha had taught To keep these things in, in mind all the time So he was really good at this And he became very proud about it And he had students and so on And everyone was very Given very much esteem and so he, instead of not only being useless to him, it was actually a hindrance and it was a cause for him to give rise to, to great uh, unwholesomeness in his mind. Yes, we have many people nowadays who are well-educated and become very uh, arrogant as a result, uh, who can become uh, very sure of themselves. And uh, we see this a lot in science today. Anyway, so he thought. what he thought he would do is go to see the Buddha and have the Buddha say good things about him This is what people who, who have these things, these special virtues like They like to go to places where people are going to esteem them When we're a teacher we love having adore, adoring students and so on We love going to our teachers and have them say good things about us And when our teachers say bad things about us or, or scold us or so on We don't like it So he went to the Buddha thinking For sure, I mean, I'm at the top here For sure the Buddha is going to say something good about me And as soon as he thought that The Buddha knew what was going on in his mind And when he saw him coming The Buddha said Oh, here comes Tucha Botila. Tucha Potila is coming And Potila was his name But Tucha means empty Potila means uh, a book or a palm leaf a manuscript and so he called him this empty manuscript or this empty book and Bot- Botila heard this and he was, he was mortified he, he, had, he, he was totally confused as to why the Buddha would say such a thing and so he went and sat down and paid respect to the Buddha and he said oh Tucha Botila is sitting down the empty book is sitting down instead of just calling Botila which means book he said empty book And Chupotila heard heard this and he just got very sad and very disappointed, very upset by this. So he couldn't stand it and he got up and and he saluted the Buddha and and left. And the Buddha said, Oh, there goes Chupotila, he's leaving. There goes the empty book. And he thought to himself, How could I possibly get this name of empty book? And then he realized that it's because he had nothing. You know, we can gain all of this knowledge and understanding in in a bookish sense and still have nothing. It'd be totally useless to us. We look inside ourselves and we're still full of greed, full of anger, full of delusion. People who know so many things and yet they can uh, kill themselves out of depression or or sadness or stress. I had a man once who came to meditate and he was a, a PhD, a doctor and he taught and studied uh, addiction therapy. He studied, sorry, he studied addiction and and addiction therapy. And yet he himself was um, was addicted, was not exactly addicted, but he he had a um, a problem in his mind. He He had an anxiety problem and he had to take medicine for it. And so it, it's almost as though, you know, this person who knows so much about the brain and yet their own brain is, is malfunctioning. Their own mind is, they, they don't really know anything. So Botillo was one of these people who knew a lot but had no real benefit from it. So he realized that. He was, he was like this empty book that had no... Uh, like, a, like a visitor's book when no one has come to visit or so on. Like a, a log, when you haven't done any work, you don't have a log. When we have these web blogs, well, we haven't done anything. Nowadays, you don't need anything to write a web blog. You just have to say what you're doing. Now I'm having coffee. People put these updates on the web. But here we're talking about something meaningful, and there was nothing meaningful he had done. So he went to practice he realized that he was missing the most important part of the Buddhist teaching was practice. And so he went and he practiced in this meditation center where there were a whole whole bunch of monks staying, I think 30 or something. And he thought, for sure, I've heard great things about this center and I'll go and I'll meditate with these, these guys. And so right away he goes to the abbot, and I guess the idea is that you know, he feels very, still very proud of himself. He thinks, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here at the top, I'm the head guy as far as uh, s- scriptural knowledge. So I'll go right to the abbot and he'll accept me. And the abbot said, no, no, uh, I'm sorry, I'm too busy to teach you. Go and see the vice abbot. And the truth is, there's nothing, the, the abbot didn't have, uh, or, or he didn't exactly say that, he didn't lie but he said uh, I'm sorry I can't teach you. Uh, please go see the the vice abbot or or just said please go see the vice abbot but there was really no no problem with him teaching but what he wanted to do was to uh, you know he knew that if he taught him this monk would feel very proud and they oh you look at me I am get this special privilege of practicing with the head monk. It's actually not the abbot it was just the senior monk and in, in Buddhism there is no abbot in 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 the Vinaya and the Buddhist teaching there's just seniority so this was the most senior monk and the senior monk said go see the next senior monk and the next senior monk said go see the next senior monk and so on and so on and so on all the way down to the last monk and none of them would teach him so he goes to the last monk and he's like desperate he's like my god how, uh, how am I you know this I'm, I'm this wretched that they won't none of them will teach me he went to the last monk. He said, "Please, please teach me." And the last monk looked at him, and they're all—these are all enlightened beings. These were all—it's not that they couldn't teach him, or that they weren't free to teach him, but they knew what they had to do, and so they—this was a way of playing with them. And so the last monk said, "I'm sorry. Uh, I ask you to go see that novice over there." So there was one novice staying in the monastery, seven years old. Turns out the novice was enlightened as well. He was a very strong meditator, seven years old. And so Potila goes to see the novice, and he's like, now he's like totally uh, lost his his composure, and so he bows down to the novice, and he's almost crying, and he says, please, please, sir, teach me. And the novice is like, whoa, you're like this big, big uh, teacher, and you, you know, you're a, you're this very famous monk. Well, what are you doing, bowing down to me? And he said, please, please, just teach me. And he says, how can I teach you? How could you ever respect me? I'm just a novice. And he says, look, I'll do anything you say. He said, okay, then you must promise to do anything I say. Whatever I tell you to do, you must do it. And Potila said, I promise. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. And the novice said, okay. Go run into the pond. And the novice was sitting, he was sitting here by this pond. And he said, What? go run, it, run into the pond. And he's like, he doesn't know what to say, he promised that he'd do whatever this novice said, but the novice is like telling him to do crazy things. Oh, so he makes up in his mind, he's at his wit's end, and he just runs into the pond. And he's swimming there in the pond, and the novice says, okay, come on out. And so he comes out, he thinks, okay, now that's over with. The novice says, go back into the pond. And till it goes back into the pond, come out, comes out, goes back in, comes out, goes in. And When he gets into the middle of the pond again, he's like, just almost lost it. And the novice says, okay, you know, he's at this point his mind is just going crazy, he doesn't know where to turn next, because this novice is a little bit wacky, he's just a little kid. And so the novice says, okay, look, suppose you've got an anthill, uh, a termite mound, they say. And this lizard goes into the termite mound. It's presumably to eat the termites. And the termite mound has six holes. How are you going to catch the lizard? And so Potila is standing there in the middle of the pond and he says, Well, you'd close up five of the holes and watch the sixth hole. When the lizard comes out, catch it. And so, so the novice says, okay, this is the same. You're like a termite mound that has six holes. The eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind. And the lizard is the defilements. The lizard is those, this pride and conceit and greed and anger and delusion. And all you have to do is watch the sixth hole. You close the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, meaning you don't follow after these things. You don't look for good. Look at good things or bad things. You just watch the mind wherever it goes. Just watch the mind. And when you see these defilements arise in the mind, you catch them. And he did that, and he looked at his mind, and he saw that his mind was going crazy, and there were so many rotten things in his mind. And when he saw that, he was really able to focus and concentrate and, and purify his mind, and let go of all of these bad states. He was able to watch the mind rising and ceasing, coming and going. And he was able to let go and become free. This is really what we do in meditation when we focus on uh, the the objects that the mind takes, wherever the mind goes. If the mind goes to the eye door, then we close the eye by saying to ourselves, seeing, seeing, seeing. We close it right there. We don't let it become... uh, uh, an experience of seeing, as in we see this or we see that. It's only seeing. We close it at the seeing. We close it at the hearing. We close it at smelling, tasting, feeling. And so there's only the mind. What we have is the mind door open. And he became enlightened. So we can see there's... It's really a whole different thing, a whole different issue, this idea of... uh, scriptural training and, and actual meditation practice that all of that teaching that he had was totally useless and it gave him nothing and really no path and no way nowhere to turn he they couldn't even use it to practice and here's this novice who just tells him to run into a lake which is totally there's nothing in the buddha's teaching that tells you to run into a lake so he was totally you know lost and this helped him to let go of uh, his his learning so this is the first thing that is not the Buddha's teaching The Buddha said this is not someone who lives in the Dhamma This is the first The second The Buddha said then there's, some, there's one type of person who studies And they're not content with just study They take what they've studied and they, they recite it So we recite the Buddha's teaching This if you go to any good monastery you're going to hear the monks Doing this recital every day, they'll recite pieces of the Buddha's teaching. Sometimes they'll even recite the the suttas, uh, from the Dhammacakkappavattana Sutta. So the monks would memorize it. And there's actually a lot to memorize. You know, there's the five of this, the ten of that. Even the sutta that I bring up today. <coughs> you know, they would memorize these things. They memorize the Pali. Like in the time of the Buddha, there were these two monks. There was uh, Mahapantaka and Chulapantaka, these two monks, and they ordained. And the older brother was very smart, and he was able to become enlightened very quickly. And the younger one was a lot slower, he couldn't become enlightened, he was stuck. Because all the monks were studying. And they were memorizing And so his older brother had him memorize this one verse He took pity on him And said, okay, just remember this one verse And he couldn't remember it He would remember the first line And Go on to memorize the second line And forget the first line When he went on to memorize the third line He would forget the second line So he couldn't even memorize a, a, a single verse A single, sorry, a single stanza to the point where his brother got fed up and said okay then you better go and disrobe you you you're, you're not going to be able to do this you have to you should go and become a layperson and just do good deeds and and eventually develop yourself and so the younger brother went to see the buddha thinking that he would have to disrobe and the buddha said no no that's not that's not a reason to disrobe in in the buddha's teaching and so he the Buddha gave him this cloth And this is just this, the same idea He gave him this cloth And cloth, and he said go and, go and stand with this cloth In the sun, white cloth And rub it And as you rub it say to yourself Rajho haranang rajho haranang Which means Taking the dust, removing the dust Removing the dirt Taking out the dirt Taking out the dirt uh, Pulling out the dirt the 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 uh, the stain, you could say. And so the this monk, said, oh, I can do that. Rajo Okay, I can remember that. And he went and stood in the sun, and he said said to himself, Rajo haranang. And he, he's rubbing the cloth, Rajo haranang, And as he's standing there in the sun, it's it getting hot, and the sweat pouring, you know, off his body and onto this cloth, and the cloth has started to change color. And it started collecting dust from the wind because it was moist from the sweat. And so it started getting more and more dirty and dusty. And as he was saying, taking out the dust, taking out the dirt.
1: And it, it just
0: confused him. He was why am I doing this? What is, you know, it's, it's the opposite. And then he started to, his mind started to calm down as he started to focus on this. That first the color was white, and then it started to change. And then he started to realize that everything was like this. That his own mind was like this. Was sometimes it was clear and and calm, and sometimes it was dirty and soiled, and he started to see that his mind was just like the cloth, and that when it picked up these these bad things, then it became soiled. The Buddha said that our mind is just like this this white cloth. It's just like a very it's very bright and pure, and, but it's the defilements. It's these the dust, the raja, which. Uh, Uh, which which defiles it. And when he saw this, he saw impermanence. He started to see that you know that everything changes, that there's nothing that is stable. And it was just this very fixed state of mind when he saw this that helped him to let go and helped him to see that the whole universe is like this. When people hear this, it's very hard to to believe. We think that there'd be something greater to it, but this is the very real experience. Anything can be an object of meditation. This is why we use very simple things like the rising and the falling of the stomach. So when we sit in meditation, we just watch the stomach rising and falling. We say to ourselves, rising, falling, rising, falling. And that is enough for us to become enlightened just by watching the rising and the falling of the stomach. Because any object can be an object of meditation because it's all changing something that we think, you see this white cloth and it's very pure, and he just got it from the Buddha, and he was thinking, oh, this is great, a cloth from the Buddha, it's very special. And so he thought he would keep it, but but as it started to change, he started getting upset and realizing that this is the nature of all things, and realizing there's no reason to attach to this this simple cloth, and so on. And was able to become enlightened. So again, we can see that this is two totally different things. This reciting that they were doing, which is useful. To help you to remember these things But it certainly is no replacement for practice And so the Buddha said, no, this is also Someone who even does chanting a lot And memorizing and reciting This is not uh, someone who lives by the Dhamma This is someone who recites a lot, he said (laughs) Satchaya pahulo, someone who recites a lot Just like someone who studies a lot The third type of person, the Buddha said, is Someone who studies And you will notice that the Buddha uh, you know, it gives, it's, a, it's a given that you're going to study There's nothing wrong with studying And he said, but this person, what do they do with it? They go and they teach other people And they get caught up in teaching And this one is one of my favorite stories Not, not specifically because I'm a teacher It's just a very poignant reminder to all of us Especially all of us who teach um, There was this one monk in the Buddha's time who was a teacher And he was a very good teacher Very proficient So proficient That all of his students became enlightened Some of them became Sotapanna Some of them became Sakitakami Some of them became Anagami Some of them maybe even became Arahan So they were all able to Practice according to his teaching And become free from suffering And he himself was still an ordinary human being, had no spiritual development whatsoever. He had maybe done a little bit of meditation, but nothing to any great extent. And so this time it wasn't the Buddha that that, that caught his attention, it was one of his students. His students, of course, because they would all have, many of them would have psychic powers through the very strong uh, training, mental training. And so they could sort of doubt out what was going on in his mind and one of them thought one day you know I wonder what's going on with our teacher I wonder what level he's attained to and so he, he sent his mind and he, he thought about the teacher and he realized that the teacher was still an ordinary human being still full of all sorts of unwholesome um, mind states and hadn't, had gained no state of freedom or, or peace of mind and he thought, oh this is terrible We can't let this go on Here we are wasting all of his time Taking up all of his time On our on ourselves And we're not giving our teacher any time So he said, what am I going to do? Because there's no way our teacher is just going to give us up and, and go off and practice And so he thought up a, uh, He thought of a good plan he, saw, he waited for when the teacher was very, very busy And then he went in to see the teacher And he said, dear teacher um, I was wondering if you could or I, I would like, it, it's time for a lesson. He said, it's time for, uh, it's, I was hoping that it would be time for a lesson. And of course his meaning was not what he, he pretended it was. But the teacher said, oh, I'm too busy, How can, I, have, I have no time to give you a lesson now. And so this monkey crossed his legs and sat there on the floor, and then he, levit, he, he levitated off the floor. He went into a, a state of concentration and actually floated off the floor. And he opened his eyes And he looked at the teacher And he said You don't have time Even for yourself How could you possibly have Time to waste on all of us And then he flew out the window <laughs> Believe it if you will This is what this, the texts say I mean maybe the tr- true story Was he walked out the door But you know Maybe there are monks Who can actually levitate I've never seen one They say there are They even say there's stories In modern time About people who to spontaneously leap from one point to another, uh, fly. There was a story of a meditator who actually claimed to be able to levitate. And he was asked to prove it. His teacher gave him a pencil and said, OK, so if you can levitate to the ceiling, make a mark on the ceiling. And he did it. He actually made a mark with the pencil on the ceiling, apparently. So when his teacher saw this, he... He got really disturbed, just like Ducho Botila, and he really woke him up, and he decided then and there that he had to, that this was just too embarrassing. this was a real embarrassment for him, that it was right, that he had never thought to practice himself, and so he left, and he went off into the forest and took up the practice of meditation, practicing alone. But as it often happens with people who really uh, have this great intention or this great urgency they can often overdo it and so he really did overdo it he would walk and sit and walk and sit and walk and sit and not take breaks and not really you know take it easy because you know think about it we're trying to learn something we're trying to absorb this knowledge and this understanding and if you're really serious and and uh, stressed about it there's no way that that can really happen It has it has to really dawn on you how can anything dawn on you if you're, if you're all stressed out and, and uh, uh, tense and, and, and excited? You know, you have to be calm and you have to approach this with an open mind and a clear mind and a calm mind. So here he was pushing himself so hard that he couldn't see anything. He couldn't understand or, or, or learn anything from it. And he got, as he walked, he got more and more stressed And just thinking about how he had to do this Or else people were going to This is another thing, is doing it for other people Sometimes when we meditate, we think it'll make us Look better to other people And we think about how everyone will uh, Have to be proud of us, and, and so on Which is, of course, a terrible way to practice Because it's still clinging Very much clinging And so he was clinging And the more he clang, clung The more he clung to this idea, the more stressed out he got. And until finally he just broke down. and You know, they had this, this mental breakdown. It just got overwhelming to him. This is how meditators can often drive themselves crazy for temporary periods. You don't actually go crazy for meditating, but you can get to this state that's a lot like insanity for a short time, because you're just so wound up that you have to give up. And when you stop practicing, you, you gain your sanity back. But it's kind of, you know, you just freak out. This can happen because people don't practice meditation, they cling to things, just like this monk did. Of course, this is nothing that we teach, and if people follow according to to our teaching, there's no reason to worry. Uh, But if you don't follow the teaching and you just cling, 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 or stress, 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 uh, push, 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 then you can can actually drive yourself temporarily crazy. This is what he did, and then he broke down and started crying. This grown monk, this elder monk, sat down crying. Now it so happens, the great part about this story is that there was this angel sitting, there was this angel there. There were angels in the forest. And this angel had followed after this monk, thinking, oh great, Uh, here's this monk. And so, and he's a great teacher, and so I'll stay with him. And suddenly this angel appears in front of the monk and starts crying. And the monk can see him, the teacher, he can see this angel, he says, what are you doing? He's like, who are you? I'm an angel. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you crying? And I said, well, because you're crying. What do you mean, why? Because I'm crying. He said, well, you're this great teacher. I thought that, you know, when you walk, I did walking with you. When you sat, I did sitting with you. I thought, whatever you do, that's got to be the way to, to become enlightened. So when you started crying, I thought, well, that's got to be the way to become enlightened. And so I started crying. And this is what really woke this monk up. You know, this, this kind of thing just makes you look like a fool you know, Here he thought he was alone And he thought he could cry Men don't cry around other people So when this, is, this angel just sort of made a fool of him Unintentionally And so then he really started practicing Then he was able to let go and say You know, I'm an idiot And give up this, this ego, this attachment to self And then when he practiced Then he was able to become free from suffering You see how little things are Really it has nothing to do with our study uh, not more than the extent that our study is a way, you know, it's teaching us a way of practice. But without the practice, it's useless. So the Buddha said, even this, when people teach, when people are able to uh, explain or to, to give teachings, this is only someone who is, who is very good at explaining or very good at uh, setting up a course for other people. Not someone who lives by the Dhamma. The fourth type of person is someone who studies and then sits around thinking. This type of person, you, you wouldn't, wouldn't, There's not many, you know. You do see monks sitting around thinking, like in the case of Anuruddha. Anuruddha is sort of a very good example because he had a, it seems a bit of a difficult time meditating. Anuruddha was one of the Buddha's relatives. And he was very strong in magical powers He was also a very special monk He had made a wish in a past life To never hear the words There aren't any Or there isn't any And he made this He did this very good deed He gave alms food to an enlightened being And made this wish That I sh- may I never be May I never hear the words There isn't any Meaning may I never have to, have to be without Because he was a very poor person at the time and it so happens that in his last life This came true That he was born into a rich family And he never heard the words There isn't any Until one day He was gambling with his friends Just a little kid Playing marbles And he lost And the bet was The loser has to give cake, get cakes for everybody So he sent to his mother to, to get some cakes And so his mother sent cakes And he lost again And so he sent for cakes again and he lost again And when he lost the third time There were no more cakes So his mother sent the servant back to To Anuruddha to say there isn't any Or there aren't any nut tea. And he heard this nutty. He said, what does this mean, nut tea?" And he said, well then bring me the nut tea cakes Bring me the aren't any cakes I don't care There aren't any Okay, so bring the aren't any There's nothing He didn't understand what was being said So he said, okay, tell my mother to bring the aren't any cakes I don't, you know, it's cakes There's no problem The servant goes back Says, he says Anuruddha says to bring the aren't any cakes And his mother just goes Oh dear, my poor son He still doesn't know what the word There aren't any means doesn't know what nati means. He's just been so spoiled. We've really just spoiled this kid. And so she sent. She said, "Okay, I've got to teach him a lesson." And so she sent this empty golden platter with an empty, with a golden lid on it, with nothing inside. And she said, "Go and tell Anuruddha that these are the any. This is what it means by there aren't any." And so the servant sent them along But it so happened, and if you believe this Well, according to the text And it's an interesting story The angels up in heaven you know, caught, caught whiff of this And said this won't do Because he made this great aspiration That he should never you know, hear these words He should never have to suffer to, not have, to be without So they went down and they put Cakes in, in the tray angel cakes like angel food cake but this is real angel food cake from from heaven if you believe it and this is I, mean, I, I can believe this kind of thing i've I fairly op- overly open mind some people would say but you uh, no, it makes a good story so he put they the, they put these cakes in and brought the and the servant continued bringing you know, the servant didn't know what was inside but they just beamed the cakes in there And when he got to Anuruddha, he said, Okay, here's this is your mother said, This is what is meant by there aren't any. And he opened the lid. And it's full of these angel cakes. And the smell just, the smell alone just was to die for. And then they taste the cakes and he's just like transported. And he immediately goes back home and just stamping in the house, angry as as anything else. And he says to his mother, Mother, you've never loved me before. He said, what do you mean I've never loved you before? She thought, uh-oh, oh, he, must, he must not be happy to know this he said, he said, from now on I will eat nothing but aren't any cakes And his mother was like, uh And she, you know, she somehow understood that Somehow she understood that there must have been Something happened along the way And so anytime, you know, the, the, was hungry She would send an empty, empty platter with an empty lid and along the way the angels would put food in, his, in, in the platter Every time he wanted, aren't any cakes. This is apparently a true story Anuruddha was very spoiled He was very spoiled to the extent that when he was going to become a monk He and his older brother had to decide Because they said, everybody, all of our relatives have all become monks From every family of the Buddha's relatives Except our family, there's only the two of us He said, so either you or me should become a monk Otherwise we're going to look like idiots we're going to look like we don't really respect the Buddha and Buddha said well what's a monk and he said oh a monk has to go and live in the forest and they have to wear rag robes and they have to go for alms and eat only one meal a day and he's just like stop 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 no 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 I'll stay I'll be a layperson no way you become a monk tell teach me he said I'll, I'll be a layperson you become a monk and so Mahanama said okay then I'll teach you how to be a lay person." He said, a lay person has to plow fields. He said, well, what's plowing fields? Well, first you have to get these plows and you have to get the oxes and the oxen and you have to have feed for the oxen and so on and, and then you have to go and plow the field uh, uh, plow all day from morning until, until night and then after you've plowed the field, then you have to plant and you have to irrigate and then you have to uh, harvest and then you have to take the the rice into the um, barn Into the silos And then you have to Protect it against the mice And then you have to He's like stop, stop, stop I'll become a monk You become a layperson That's, that's enough for me And so this is the story Of how Anuruddha became a monk He was very, very much sheltered But he was also A fairly good monk He just had problems In meditation So the point of this Whole long story When Anuruddha became a monk He uh, He thought a lot And he spent his time thinking about the universe he was like an astronomer except he used his mind and he would go out and he said he said to Sariputta my mind is so firmly established I can hold the whole of the universe in my attention the whole of the the universe nowadays scientists are lucky if they can catch nearby stars but he got the whole of the universe in his attention and he said yet but I haven't become free from suffering I haven't freed my mind from, uh, from defilement. And so he was saying, he's saying, my mind is firm, well-established in concentration. I can hold the whole of the universe in my attention if I want, but I still haven't become free from defilement. What, what's wrong? And Sariput Buddha just, you know, tore into him and said, I mean, you know, not mean or anything, but it was pretty hard. He said, "When you when you tell me that your mind is firmly established, that's just conceit. That's your your conceit. When you tell me that you can hold the whole of the universe in your in your attention, that's distraction. And when you tell me that you suddenly become free from suffering, that's just worrying." He said, "If you dis- if you get rid of these three, uh, or you would be well advised to get rid of these three mind states." It was just totally turned him on his ha- on his head. And as a result of that, he was able to become free from suffering. But he was someone who would think about these things, and he thought a lot. And so even the Buddha had to go in and correct him. He would think about what was the Buddha's teaching. You know, what was it good for? It was good for people who were energetic. Not good for people that are lazy. It's good for pe- it's appropriate for people who have many have few wishes. Not people who have many wishes. It's perfect for people who. Um, have mindfulness, not people who don't have mindfulness, and so on. And the Buddha said, well, it's also good for people who don't hold on to anything. It's not good for people who cling to anything. Something like that, the Buddha would come in and 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 uh, point out what he was missing. So Anuruddha was someone who, who thought a lot, and this is obviously not a way to become free from suffering. It's just one example. <coughs> it's um, something we find more... Uh, Maybe in today's society In, in European societies in, in the Renaissance Meditation, where the word meditation comes from It would mean something like thinking Or pondering Where you sit down and think So we have these meditations of these These people who, who would Meditate on these things And meditation has just recently Come to mean more of a new age sort of thing Where you, you know, transcend And you have this uh, blissful Peaceful state uh, meditation as I try to explain it and as we, we teach it here is is quite very different it means to it's it's a complement to the word medication it's a healing of the mind we're trying to actually cure the mind it's the teaching of the Buddha so when we use the word meditation we're referring to vipassana seeing clearly and, and coming to understand so the Buddha said this type of person is also not one who becomes a dhamma vihari one who lives or dwells in the Dhamma. So the Buddha said, okay, so these are four people. What is the fifth kind of person? The fifth kind of person is one who studied. And once they study, then they're not content with just studying. And what do they do? The four, there are four characteristics of a person who is this fifth, this fifth category. First of all, they don't waste time. They don't let the days pass them by. The Buddha said, don't let the moment pass you by. And so they don't do this,. They don't let the days and nights pass them by. Number two, they don't um, they don't throw away or discard their solitude. This is very important. Number three, they uh, set themselves. On tranquility, inner tranquility. This is like transcendental meditation or, or calming the mind at any rate. And number four, uttarincha panyaya atang. Uttarinchasa. Uttarinchasa panyaya atang They come to know the meaning of what they've learned through wisdom. The higher meaning Of what they've learned Through wisdom So there are two kinds Of of wisdom There's the understanding And then there's Or there's the study And then there's the understanding These four things So number one Don't let the moment Pass you by This is most important For us to keep in mind We waste so much Of our time in this life When we have Whatever free time we have We never think to Come to practice meditation Or do anything We don't have any reason To develop ourselves We think that you know, in the end, there's no scorecard, there's no score keeping. When we die, we die. Most people are fixed on this idea of, of death and there's nothing. But we also don't realize that we're using our minds all the time and we're suffering a lot because our minds are really uh, imperfect. They're not up to par, not up to standard. They're not as sharp as they should be. So we suffer. We li- clearly suffer. I, I said, was saying today that. Uh, when people ask us, you know, why would you meditate? What's the purpose of meditating? And it's really a a, 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 a a very poor question, but it's one that we do encounter a lot, because people nowadays really don't have understanding of what's important. So they said, the answer that I like to give these days is that, well, if you don't need, if you don't ever intend to use your brain, if you don't ever intend to use your mind for anything, then you don't need to meditate. There's no reason to. But if you do intend to use your mind To use your brain Use your head, as they say Then meditation is the only Tool that you have To train your your mind And to make it useful And this this kind of shows What a silly question it is Because um, we're pretty silly nowadays We don't ever think to train The one thing that is of real use to us Which is our mind And that's what meditation is So we waste our time, and this is, this is the first key to this fifth type, which is obviously the Dhammavihari, which we're going to say. Number one, not to waste your time. Number two, not to discard your solitude, or not to give up this chance that we have to be alone. You know, we all have these private places, uh, and especially as meditators, we have this opportunity to be alone. And what we do instead is get together. We, we have, find it very difficult to be alone, and we have this chance to be alone and whenever we're alone we just can't stand it we can't be alone by ourselves Blaise Pascal Pascal was a famous uh, philosopher I think mathematician as well Um, and he said that all of all of man's problems uh, rise from the fact that he is unable to sit alone with himself for any length of time and this is really the truth is we're not able to be alone with ourselves uh, and this is, a, this is the real problem that we have. So the Buddha said, uh, you want to be someone who lives by the truth, who lives according to the teaching, you have to be alone. You have to tr- learn to be alone with yourself. And do two things. This is the third and the fourth. The third one is to calm the mind down. So for instance, when we practice meditation, in the beginning we don't really learn anything, but we do calm the mind down. The mind starts to slowly, slowly settle down and fix and focus. And see clearly the objects of our attention This is the very beginning And then finally as we practice we get this fourth thing Which is insight We come to understand the Dhamma So we've learned all this We've learned about what are the five aggregates What are the four foundations of mindfulness When we watch the body, the feelings The mind and the Dhamma, the objects But we don't really have any benefit from it and then we don't really have a, this understanding of what these things are. And as we watch them, we watch the body rising, falling. We watch the feelings pain, pain or aching or happy or happy, happy, happy or calm, calm. Or we watch the mind thinking, thinking. Or we watch the, the various parts of the, the, the sets of teachings, of the Dhamma of the Buddha. Emotions, for instance, liking, disliking or drowsiness, distraction, doubt we say to ourselves, liking, liking, disliking, drowsy, distracting. Then we come to really understand these things that we've learned. Like we've learned about the Dhamma. What are the five hindrances? Liking, disliking, drowsiness, distraction, and doubt. We know this, but we don't really understand them. We know that greed is bad, we know anger is bad, we know delusion is bad, but we don't really understand them, why they are bad, or how they were bad, until we focus and watch them and learn about them and, and see them for what they are. Many people are turned off by this, thinking... That, they, that we think passion is bad and love is bad and all these things. And, well, we're not have to claim any of these things. We can have you look at them and understand for yourself why passion might be a, a negative mind state. And so the Buddha said, this person, a person who is endowed with these four things, this is someone who lives by the Dhamma, who dwells with the Dhamma. And the Buddha said, so, here I have given you I have told you uh, what are these five types of people he said what what a teacher might do for a student out of compassion this I have done for you and he said here are the empty huts here are the tree roots here are the forest dwellings and so on and he said don't be he said meditate jayattha or uh, meditate don't be negligent don't don't be sorry later uh, when it's too late. And so at the end of the, the teaching, he, he was very uh, very hard on the monk. He said, okay, so this is the teaching. This is, if you want this understanding now, I've given it to you. All of the teaching that is necessary, I have given this to you. Now meditate and don't be negligent. Don't be sorry when it is too late, when you don't have a teacher around like me. And so he sent the monk off to meditate. Uh, There I've given a rather long talk this evening, so now we'll go on to a, a meditation portion for tonight. First we'll do mindful prostration and then walking and then sitting together for about an hour.